William Gale tells about growing up out in the West during the Dust Bowl years. His family was very poor. In fact, they lived in a boxcar on a large ranch where his father had a job. And the prairies in that part of the country were infested with rattlesnakes. He said that one day he and his brother Kenneth were walking down a plowed furrow. Kenneth was in the lead. He had a twenty-two rifle in his hands. They both heard a rattlesnake rattling, and William felt a yank on the back of his pants leg. He turned around to see the rattler that had struck his trousers. The snake was coiling up to strike him again. So William shouted for Kenneth, his brother, to shoot the snake. He heard the gun go off, and Kenneth said, I got it. But William said, no, you didn't. Well, the gun fired again, and Kenneth shouted, I got it. But William had his eye on that rattlesnake, and it was getting ready to strike at him again. Well, the gun went off a third time, and this time William saw the rattlesnake fly back a few feet dead. The two boys looked around to discover there had been three rattlesnakes, all within ten feet of them, and Kenneth had shot each one of them in the head. You know, when I read that story, I thought to myself, how terrible would it be to try to raise children on a piece of land that was infested with rattlesnakes. But you know, that's exactly what we're doing. The old serpent is everywhere. And I don't have to tell you, there are devilish traps on every side. This is a very dangerous time to be raising children and building families. So you know what we got to do, parents and grandparents? We've got to make sure that our kids have good ammunition. And I'm not talking about 22 bullets. I'm talking about these bullets, Bible verses. This is what our kids need. They need the Word of God. And there is not a better verse that you can give your kids than 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Every child needs to be taught this verse. Every teenager should be made by their parents to memorize this verse. You know what? As I got to studying this verse this week again, I realized this verse is not just for our teenagers. Some of the greatest temptations come to us, say, not during our younger years, but at midlife or just a little bit beyond midlife. <laughs> That's where I find myself. You know what, church? I found out that some of Satan's greatest attacks come to us during the last half of our lives. And, and really, when you study this verse, this is the actual lesson that is taught within this context. So you know what? All of us here today, no matter how young or how old we are, need to be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. In fact, you need to memorize it. Here it is in the New King James Version. Paul said, No temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Woo! Isn't that good? i got to pause right there and take a deep breath of, of relaxation because my God is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. What a great verse. Wouldn't you agree? We all need this verse, don't we? This verse, however, is found at the end of a paragraph that actually begins in chapter 9, verse 24. Paul talks about his own experience. So putting this verse into context, let's go back and and read just a few verses at the end of chapter 9. Paul, talking about himself, says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain that prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means they they train, they work hard, they, they eat the right foods, they train diligently, they're temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. In fact, in Paul's day, it was, it was just a, a, a pine wreath that was placed on their heads. He said they do it for this crown that perishes, but we do it for an imperishable crown. That is the crown of life. Huh? Therefore, Paul said in verse 26, I run this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who is just shadow boxing or beating the air, but I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now what Paul is saying is something very important to us in our day and in our age. What Paul is saying is this, you know what? I've been running this race for Christ a long time. My race started on the Damascus Road when God changed me. I became a follower of Christ. He changed my life, he changed my name, and I started living for the Lord. And I don't want to get this far down in the race only to mess up at the end. So I've got to keep myself physically disciplined. I have to build self-control in my life every day. I don't want to bring reproach to the cause of Christ, nor do I want to lose my reward. Having had so many blessings, I don't want to foul it up in the middle or at the end of the race. So I'm going to keep focused. I'm going to discipline myself. There will be self-control because I'm running the most important race there is. The race of faith. Now, do y'all know, do y'all know that it's track season? High school track season? My family, really, part of us revolves around whatever season of sports it is. And, uh, and so it's track season. We've been to a couple of track meets so far. Uh, this past week, I guess it was on Thursday night, we were in Alma for the Quad City track meet. And we were sitting up there, and my daughter runs in four different events. And, you know, I mean, that's just a little section of time, but these track meets last forever. <laughs> I mean, you bring your dinner with you when you go to a track meet because it's going to last all night. And so you just sit up there and watch these other kids that you don't know. And after the season's over, you know everybody that runs in these track meets. But uh, we, we were watching a, a race. It was a long-distance race and uh, didn't know any of the girls competing in this race. It was a girl race, and it was a long race. And we were sitting up there, and these girls were going around the track for the last time coming towards the finish line. And there were about three or four of them jockeying for first place. And, and the girl that was actually in, in the lead winning the race, she hit the wall. You know what I'm talking about? You hit the wall. If you ever ran before, 
You, know, you can only run for so long. You hit that wall, and you're out of, you're out of gas, you're out of breath, you're out of energy. But she was pushing through. She saw the finish line. She knew these other girls were around her, so she was pushing. And as she was running, she started leaning a little bit. Oh, Zainer was sitting beside me, and I punched him and said, Watch this. <laughs> about to be good. She kept leaning, and sure enough, she leaned too far, and she stumbled. She stumbled. It was kind of sad and funny. <laughs> I just said that so I could get a drink, okay? It really was sad because she stumbled right at the end of the race, and it cost her. She was in first place. I don't know she ended up in third or fourth place. Paul is saying, I don't want that to happen to me spiritually. That can't happen to me. I can't stumble in my race. I recently heard about a happily married man who had been in ministry for a number of years. In fact, he was a pastor, one of, one of the pastors on staff at, at this large church. And a woman started attending that church where he served. This woman had a, a special expertise in the particular area of ministry that this pastor was involved in. And so she volunteered for service. And this pastor and this woman started working together on certain projects. And in the course of time... He started feeling attracted to her. And he sensed that she felt the same for him. One day they were in the church in a room alone together working on a project. And and he suddenly realized that he was facing a very dangerous moment in his life. Things were about to get crazy. If he said the wrong thing, it could really mess his life up. So what he did is run out of that room. He just left her there, took off running, went to his pastor's office and said, you know what, pastor, I'm not going to mess up here after having served the Lord all these years. And I need your help. I need to tell somebody about this internal tug that I'm feeling because I know it's going to help me avoid this temptation. And with your help and with God's help, I'm not going to, and then he said this word, I'm not going to lose self-control. Kudos for him. Because let me tell you something, church. If we lose our self-disciplines and our self-control in life in any number of areas, we are in danger of being compromised in some way spiritually and disqualified to really serve God as effectively as we should. And Paul said, you know what? I've been running with Jesus for a long time, but no one is beyond temptation. Even at the end of my race, I could mess up. So I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stay disciplined. That brings us to chapter 10. He gives us an illustration of some people that didn't stay focused, that didn't stay disciplined. It was the nation of Israel. Look look at chapter 10, verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all of them passed through the sea. Now, when Paul says that the children of Israel were under the cloud, he's going back to Exodus chapters 13 and 14. And what he's talking about is that great pillar of cloud and fire that led the children of Israel out of Egypt and all through the wilderness. If you remember, the Lord God himself came down to guide and bless the children of Israel as they left Egypt. His presence was this great, burning, bright brilliant cloud during the day and this huge 
pillar of fire at night. It was always with them. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And the Israelites had the very presence of the glory of God among them. All they had to do is look up and there they saw the presence of God. And this glorious God did miracles for them. He parted the waters of the Red Sea and they escaped from Pharaoh through this towering liquid wall of water. They saw the presence and the glory and the miracles of God on a daily basis. Verse 2 says, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they were united with their leader and they identified with Moses in this very experience. And Moses at that time, I mean, he was tight with God. Him and God were like that. And the people identified through Moses with God. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. In other words, they ate manna in the desert. God provided it for them. Every morning they got up, they just walked out their tent. There their food was for the day. They drank water that flowed from rocks. And those rocks, that rock represented our rock, Jesus Christ. Let me sum up what I'm saying here. These people had fantastic spiritual experiences. They experienced fantastic grace. They received fantastic blessings. Amazing. Did you get the word fantastic? You know what? After all this, they messed up. Verse 5 uses the word nevertheless. Usually when I read nevertheless in the Bible, it ain't good. Yeah, All of these blessings, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the wilderness. That's sad. Let me, let me pause to put all this together. Here we have two examples of not baby Christians, but veteran believers. Here we have this example of Paul who traveled across the empire, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. Yet Paul said, you know what, people? It's still possible for me to mess up even after all of my experiences with Jesus Christ. Then there's the example of the Israelites. They had traveled out of Egypt, led by the literal clouds of God's glory. They had passed through the Red Sea, eaten manna in the desert, drank water out of the rock. But it was still possible for them to mess up spiritually. And they did. So this passage isn't just addressed to new Christians or baby believers. These are examples of mature veteran believers who, at the end of their race, could have stumbled and some did stumble. So verse 6, now all these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things just like they did. I like it out of the New King James. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust 
after evil things as they also lusted after evil things. So here's our example. Wake up, man. This is your example. God gave you this as an example so that you don't mess up your life. And there are four specific warnings, four sins that they fell into. Really, this is a sermon all by itself, but I'm just using it as an illustration. (laughs) Okay? So here are the four sins. Sin number one, verse seven. So don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. This is the story out of Exodus chapter 32. It's talking about the golden calf that Aaron made for the people when they craved after it and demanded it while Moses was on top of Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments from God. When he came back down off the mountain, he saw all of his people worshiping this idol and involving themselves in in pagan sin. Now, we may not think of ourselves as idol worshipers, But I want you to remember what an idol is. Idolatry is anything that comes between you and God. An idol can be anything that hinders your spiritual growth. It can be a thing or it can be a person. It could be a relationship. Sometimes religion itself becomes an idol because we worship the function of religion rather than the God of the Bible. Sin number one, idolatry. Sin number two, sexual immorality. Verse eight, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. This is right out of Numbers chapter 25. God had specifically told the Israelites, do not intermarry with these pagan nations all around you. Yet the men of Israel lusted after the women of Moab. I guess they were just good looking. I don't know what the deal was. These Moabite women were good looking women. They lusted after them and started involving themselves in sexual immorality with them. And that led to the next thing, which was the worship of their gods, the Bell of Peor. And some bad stuff came down when that happened. Well, 23,000 of them were killed because of sexual immorality. You know, here's the deal for us. We have been conditioned by our TV shows and the movies we go to and the media that's out there today. We have been conditioned to believe that sleeping together outside of marriage is normal and acceptable and desirable. In fact, this world has put their stamp of approval on all kinds of sexual immorality. But folks, listen to me. Church, God does not change. And God has told us that sex outside of marriage, no matter what kind of sexual immorality that is, is wrong. It is a sin. It is a violation of God's Word. Sin number three is in verse 9. He said, we should not test the Lord as some of them tested the Lord and were killed by, there it is, snakes. I'm stuck on snakes, aren't I? This is out of Numbers chapter 21. Again, they they were griping and complaining because they didn't have the food they wanted, nor did they have any water at the time. And and so they kept testing the Lord, and God sent these fiery snakes, and it it was biting them and killing them. 
You might wonder, well, what does it mean to test the Lord? Well, I think I can add one word to that statement and you'll understand. Do not test the Lord's patience. Have you ever heard a parent say to a child in warning them, you're testing my patience? fact of the matter is, how many of you have ever said that to a child? You're testing my patience. Come on, be honest. I really want to see. I'm... You're pushing me to my limit. I'm about to go over the edge. And you're coming with me. Just venting a little bit right there. Hey, guys, let me tell you, as believers, we do that to God. We test the Lord when we continue pushing the boundaries of what's right in our lives and testing the limits of His grace just to see how much we can get away with. We test the Lord's patience. And sin number four is found in verse 10. And you, listen to me, church, you do not grumble or complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. There's several ex- examples of that over in the Pentateuch. You know, it is really remarkable to me how easy it is for us to grumble and complain about all, all sorts of things. I, I don't know what it is, but I think we, ha- we think we have the right to, to grumble and complain about anything we want to. We, we think it's our God-given right. We have an opinion about things, and and if things don't go our way, you know what? We're going to grumble and murmur and complain. Right? We do. You don't think people grumble and complain? Come walk with me for a few days. But it's in everyday life. We, We gripe about everything. We can, if something doesn't go our if something happens, we don't, we're going to grumble and gripe and complain about it. From church to school to family to Walmart to the wrong line we're standing in to gas prices, whatever it is. But here's what I want you to know. When you do it towards God, notice that the Bible puts this right up there with idolatry and immorality and testing God. Four great sins that we can fall into as we grow older and as we press on towards spiritual maturity. We tolerate things that hinder our spiritual growth. That's idolatry. We tolerate sexual sin and sexual experience outside of marriage. That is immorality. We test the patience of God by our carelessness and our selfishness. We grumble and we complain and we develop bad attitudes. These are the things that can disqualify us as effective servants of Christ. And you know what, church? They can strike us even after we have been faithful followers of the Lord, even after we have preached the gospel, even after we have planted churches, even when we have lived under the clouds of His blessing and have had Red Sea experiences in our life, even after we have eaten manna and drank from the living waters of Jesus Christ, even after great spiritual victories, we can mess up. 
And that brings us to our key verse. Paul brings that down to our own personal experience. For he says in verse 11, These things happen to them as examples. The second time he uses that word. This happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us upon whom the ages of the, the fulfillment of the ages come. So God's saying, listen, wake up. Man, look at this. This is your example. It is a warning that I have written down in print for you to read and to see and to know. It can happen to you. And that's what verse 12 says. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Reminds me of something I read this week about a, a, a young seminary student. He had been at seminary for four years. Uh, the fourth year he came to one of his professors that he had a great relationship with, and he said, here's what I want to share with you, professor. He said, when I came here four years ago, I was tempted every single day with multiple temptations. My life was just full of temptation after temptation after temptation. I couldn't go through a day without facing multiple temptations. Boy, I had to learn how to lean on the Lord and pray to the Lord and pray through these temptations. But he said, here's what I want you to know. After four years, I don't feel any temptation." Now, he was proud of himself. He, he thought he had really done something. But his professor was concerned and said, Young man, you're in great peril. <laughs> you're in great peril. Because let me tell you something, church. When you think you're above it, when you think you can stand it, when you think you have reached a plateau of spiritual maturity where you are above temptation, you better watch out because there's about to be a huge fall and you're going to be part of it. And now in this dramatic setting and against the backdrop of this vivid warning, we have our great verse. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So what he's saying there is this, we're all subject to temptation. Every one of us. Now we have some great spiritual giants in our church. We have people who've been living for the Lord a long time. I look out here and, and I see some heroes of the faith. But you know what? No matter who you are or where you are on the race... All of us in this room, raise your hand if you're here and alive and listening to me. Are you, are you awake? Raise your hand. I'm not going to go on until everybody raises their hand, all right? You're raising your hand? We're all subject to temptation. Every single one of us. And what is beyond that, he says, we're all subject to the same temptations. So as I did at 9 o'clock, I'll move over here and say, there ain't nothing new. Maybe the packages get changed a little bit and the wrappings are changed, but temptation is temptation. We're all subject to the same temptations. The Greek word for temptation means testing or trial or temptation. What he's referring to here is, is what the devil does. It's a temptation against our soul. He's tempting us to sin. It is the word used when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. It's the word Jesus used when he taught us to pray, lead us not into 
temptation. In the garden, Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray lest they fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that may lead me to the most important statement you hear all morning. We have a fallen, sinful nature inside of us. We inherited that from Adam. It's the sin nature. It's in you. And all around us on the outside is a fallen society, a world full of sin. So you have a fallen nature on the inside, a fallen society on the outside, and the two of these are like huge magnets that want to draw themselves to one another. You with me? The sin nature inside of me, the fallen nature of our society, drawing itself daily, 24-7. That draws intense. You know what? Some of my greatest temptation comes on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and Monday morning. When I've given everything I have to the Lord and preaching as hard as I can, that's when temptation. Because I've had this spiritual high. I've been as close to God as I can get during the week. And then, you know what? Satan moves in. Because he knows physically I'm tired. Spiritually I'm spent. Emotionally I'm drained. And so he comes knocking on my door. It's going to happen this afternoon. I guarantee you. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I know. It's coming. That fallen nature, our sinful world, they're drawing themselves together, trying to get us to mess up, trying to get us to sin. But! But! Can I say it any louder? God is faithful, Paul said. Our God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He knows how much I can handle. And he puts a limit on the devil. You can't go beyond that devil. But he will with the temptation also provide the way of escape. So we don't have to fall. The Greek term Paul used here for the way out or the way of escape was a word that they used for a passage way out of a canyon. Sometimes in ancient Palestine people would get caught in these canyons with these walled uh, rock wall all around them and they would be down in the canyon seemingly there would be no way of escape I like to read Louis Lamar westerns and after you read one of them I mean they're all the same you know but I just like reading them you know to divert myself sometimes and in about every other one I read there's there's a cowboy stuck down in the canyon there's no way out <laughs> I'm thinking well how do you get down there in the first place you know but then all of a sudden, even that ancient Palestinian or this cowboy in, in one of my Western novels, they find a little deer trail or a goat trail or a sheep trail. It's just a faint little trail that they see. And if they follow that trail, they're going to get out of that canyon. You see, if they look hard enough, there is a way out. And I can tell you what that way of escape is for you. It is in walking so close to Jesus Christ along those goat paths of life that He leads you out of temptation. Someone has said that overcoming temptation isn't so much a matter of what you do 
as much as it is who you love. You see, it's really hard for the devil to overcome a Christian who is living in unbroken fellowship with Jesus and walking so close to Jesus that they hear the voice of Jesus and they follow the lead of Jesus. Wow, what a great verse. You know what? There's another verse here, a final word in the context. Verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee. (laughs) Flee from idolatry. Did you know that it's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation? I'll ask you, are there some locations where you're more likely to sin than other locations? Are there some places that aren't as good for you spiritually to be in? Then stay out of those places. Just avoid them. If there are people who bring you down spiritually, don't be around those people. Avoid them. When professional athletes are arrested during brawls at places like strip clubs and saloons and dog fights, we we say, well, how stupid, how dumb of them. Why would they risk millions of fans and multi-million dollar contracts by deliberately putting themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time? Why would they do that? Yet we do the same thing. Did you hear me? We do the same thing whenever we go anywhere that exposes our own hearts to needless temptation. And it could be anything. It could be an entertainment venue. It could be a movie. It could be a girlfriend's apartment. It could be a computer screen. It could be a night spot. It could be a magazine or a catalog or sitting in your own living room with the clicker. It's like the man who came and told his doctor that he had broken his arm in two places. The doctor said, well, stop going to those two places. (laughs) Call it strategic avoidance. Missionary Jim Elliott was right when he advised, don't put yourself in a position to see how good your resistance is. When you feel temptation coming on, get out of there. Flee idolatry. Flee anything that hinders you in any way with your walk with the Lord. Do not walk around in rattlesnake infested territory. Just stay away from it. So here's what the Lord's telling us in 1 Corinthians. Paul said, you know, guys, I've I've been doing this for a long time. I've been walking with Jesus for several years. I've been running this race, and I have been just as faithful as I can to the Lord. I've been doing everything he's asked me to do. I'm a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as time goes over, I become more cautious. Because I realize how big this thing really is. This is a huge race. And I don't want to stumble going around corner four. I don't want to fall right before the finish line. So even more so than when I began this race every day, I am going to discipline my body. I am going to bring it into submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am going to keep my focus because I do not want to stumble and I do not want to mess up. He said because there's plenty of examples 
in the Bible of people who did. The Israelites had it all. Man, God was right out their doorstep. All they had to do is look out their tent and see God. Every day there was a miracle in the making. Yet in the midst of all this blessing, they messed up. He said, so you be careful. Don't get cocky. Don't think you're above it. Because when you start thinking that, you're about to stumble and fall. You know why? The devil's got your number, man. And he's ringing it up every day. He's, he's dangling golden carrots of temptation in front of you. But understand this, dear Christian. God is faithful to you. He knows what your limit is. And He will not let you be tempted beyond that limit. And with every single temptation that comes into your life every day, our God who is faithful is providing a single way of escape. And you better take it. And the way you take it is walking hand in hand with Jesus. What a great verse. I tell you, told you this before, but I really... Church, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. And temptation itself is not a sin. You choose to sin. And right here, God is telling us, you don't have to because I'm giving you the way out. Church, let's take it. If you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus as your Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. He'll change your life. Jason, he'll set you free, won't he? Freer than you've ever been. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll create in you a new heart. He'll give you something to live for. Christian, if you're here today and you're facing a temptation, come and ask God for his help. Draw close to him today. Maybe you have a heart full of burdens. I can't think of a better place to leave them than these altars. So use them today. Commit your life and your all to the Lord.